Well, if you're visiting with us today, I want to welcome you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, I would welcome you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Isaiah. We'll be in Isaiah chapter 58 today. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 12. We are in a series that I've entitled Tree Spirituality. The idea is, is that it goes through the basics of Christianity, often things that are not taught, whether that be on prayer and things like fasting, um, reading Scripture, those type of things. Today we're going to be talking about fasting. It's the first of a two-part series on fasting, and today we're going to be focusing uh, more along the lines of a proper fast as opposed to just the practicalities of a fast. And so we'll be in Isaiah 58. I will pray and read the word shortly. But I want to, by way of introduction, just let us think about a few things. Yes and no. Either or. On or off. Zero or one. You know, we as people are generally binary creatures. It's either this or that. But God, God is a God of the both and. God is a God of justice and mercy. God is a God of wrath and of love. And the list goes on and on. Why do we, as his creatures who are made in his image, move to polarization? I think the answer to that question is sin and our sin nature. I want you to tuck that away for a moment. Now, what comes to mind when you hear the words social justice in relationship to the church. Maybe you think of a liberal church that has abandoned the inerrancy and infallibility of the Scripture and possibly have an urge to steer clear of anything that looks remotely close to this. Or maybe you might say that the church should be more engaged in that and are saddened that we aren't and our community more this way. But what if I told you that justice and the church is one of the both ands? What if I told you that God said that the one thing that he requires of us is to seek and do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before our God? That is found in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17, and Micah chapter 6, verse 8. So this sermon, we're going to look at what fasting is and what it isn't. We're going to see that religious rites without a heart that aligns with God are empty and worthless. That our life in Christ is a life of both and and not in either or. And that to have a biblical fast is to do so out of a life that is aligned with the character of God, which cares for others, seeks and does justice, loves mercy, and walks humbly with God. Before I read the scripture, I want to give you a brief background of where we're at in the book of where this, we are talking in the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah, by the way, is divided into three sections. The first section is found in chapters 1 through 39, which speaks of Judah's sin, God's plan to judge Judah, and the salvation that comes to the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. 
The second section is found in chapters 40 to 55, which prophesies of the Messiah who will come as the suffering servant, who will die and rise for humanity. And the last section, the one that we're in, 56 to 66, tells of salvation and judgment, ultimate hope, a new heaven and new earth where God is worshipped and glorified forever. And this is the section that we're going to be looking about. This is the word of the Lord. Let me read Isaiah chapter 58, beginning at verse 1 through verse 12. Cry aloud. Do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose? A day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday and the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt, and you shall rise up, the, raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God is forever. Amen. Father, we come to you through Jesus Christ, empowered by the Spirit, and we ask that you would pour your Spirit out upon us. We pray that the words would align, that I preach would align with the text that we read, that it would be your words to us, that you would make us attentive, you would give us ears to hear in our hearts, that you give us eyes to see from our hearts, that we might be more conformed to the image of Christ, and that we might worship you all the more. We pray that this sermon would not be an intellectual exercise where we simply learn, but it would be a time of worship to you. We praise you, Lord Jesus, for making all of this possible through your completed work. And we ask this all in your name. Amen. So I want to begin with a brief history of fasting. 
In the Old Testament, by the way, is the only command that you find for fasting. And the command that you find for fasting there, believe it or not, is found in the book of Leviticus, chapter 16. You see in Leviticus 23 and in Numbers 29. This fasting was only done one time a year. And it was done on the Day of Atonement. The Israelites were quite literally to afflict themselves or afflict their soul. Well, how do you afflict your soul? Well, it was understood as the idea from abstaining from food. But it was more than that. It was more than that. And so what it was, they were to demonstrate in their life the humbling of their souls, the humbling of their life by wearing sackcloth, by mourning, and by praying. It represented that they were saved by God's grace and God's redemption and were unworthy of that salvation. If you think about the Day of Atonement, it was God who rescued them through the sacrifice of the Lamb, which of course is Christ. It seems that during the times of the kings and prophets, fasting actually developed more. And what happened was, it was more than simply done once a year on the Day of Atonement to represent God's people's humility and dependence. It ended up including more, which we then see throughout the Old and the New Testaments. And so what happened is, in the New Testament, fasting carried on not only the idea of abstinence from food, but also it held a metaphorical meaning, which was keeping from evil or pollution, or perhaps really a humiliation of mind before God. And so, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, believers fasted, and you know this because Jesus, right before his teaching on the Lord's Prayer, says, whenever you fast. So he doesn't say, if you fast. He actually says, whenever you fast. So it was an understanding that this is what Christians did. This is what God's people did. And so it ended up being this time in the Christian's walk where it was used to express grief for your sin, perhaps, penitence. It was also used to punish oneself for wrongdoing and a way to humble oneself. And it was also used to secure guidance, to help, help from God and God to hear you. Now, apart from the idea of punishment... All of these ideas can be found in Scripture. You can't find punishment as a, as a goal or an attitude of fasting in the Scriptures because you don't punish yourself to pay for your sin. Who took the punishment for your sin? Jesus Christ. So you don't have to earn that forgiveness. And so you don't beat up yourself When you sin, you run to Jesus and find his forgiveness and redemption, which is why 1 John says, 1 verse 7, says if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That's what we have in Christ. And so afflicting our bodies does nothing and earns nothing. So let's get into our first point. What fasting isn't. So I don't know if you know this, but there are inherent dangers in fasting. And one of those dangers in fasting is your heart not being right. Isaiah 58, 1-12 actually tells us everything we need to know about the inappropriate and appropriate type of fast with our heart. Now, by the way, if you begin to look at this thing, in verse 1, Jesus God is talking to his people, and he basically says to Isaiah, 
You go, let him have it. Let him have it. That's what it says. It says, behold, it says in here in, ver, in chapter 58 here, it says, cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression. I mean, he's saying, you let them have it. You lift your voice. You give it to them loud. You tell them because they've got a problem. They need to be told, it says, their transgressions and their sin. In verse 2, we see that they are apparently seeking God daily. Listen to this. This is interesting. Yet, they seek me daily and delight to know my ways. In verse 2, they're apparently seeking God daily and taking pleasure in knowing God's ways. What he wants is as if they were a people, it says, that lived. That lived in righteousness and were obeying God's laws. Look at what it says. As if they were. You see what he's getting at? He's saying, oh, they say they're seeking me. As if they're people who do these things. As if they're people who seek me and find pleasure in knowing my ways. As if they lived in righteousness. As if they lived in obedience to my laws. As if they were trying to figure out what I actually want. He's saying, you're saying you're seeking me. As if you're people who actually want what I want and do what I do. But, in other words, externally, well, I should say externally in their words and in what they do in their daily devotions, they align with what you would think would be people who are really following God. But we go on. Look at verse 3. They come now and are complaining to God. Basically, we're fasting, but you're, you're not doing anything for us. Isn't that what it says? Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? These people are saying, I'm doing my daily devotions. I'm doing all the religious rites. I'm even fasting and you aren't regarding my fast. I mean, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I mean, I'm, I'm doing what you tell me to do. But what's actually going on? There's their personal life, their, their worship that they're doing, and then there's their life. Look as we go on. In, ultimately, in the second part of B, he says, B, 3B, Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Now, wait a minute. There's something wrong here. They're frustrated with God because God's ignoring us. And God says, your external worship seems to be like you're seeking me. And you're even doing these external rites like fasting, but there's a problem. They actually aren't seeking God. They're not really seeking his face, which is the point of fasting. You see, Instead, he says, they're living for their pleasure. Their fasting is a mechanism to get what they want. I fast, you give. I fast, you help. I fast, you give wisdom. The last time that I checked, God doesn't work like that. God is not obligated to do what I say 
what you say. God is gracious. And so external righteousness, in the sense of your worship life, doesn't actually do anything for you. I mean, you did you know this, right? Your coming here today is not earning you any favor before God. You're coming here because you love him and you desire to worship him. Not because you're somehow getting on the good side with God. It's like, hey God, I came to worship. That's what they were doing. They were, they were, they were doing external things to get stuff from God. And so God is not a cosmic bellhop for you and I. He doesn't do what you say. He doesn't, you can't like do stuff and make him respond. Our righteousness is found in Christ. It's found in him alone. And as we thirst for Christ and feed on Christ, that's what fasting is. Fasting is feeding on Christ. Fasting is feeding on Christ. So this is shown in many ways. I want to talk about these three ways that fasting is a problem. First, it's shown in the way they treated the people who work for them. They oppressed them. They aren't living a life of mercy. They aren't living a life of kindness. They aren't living a life as if everybody's made in the image of God. And they're not treating people as if they're, they should have dignity and respect. Instead, they're using others for their own advantage. Just like they're trying to use God. Isn't that interesting? They're using God to get stuff, and they're using others to get stuff. And God says, you know, what you're doing with people is the same thing you're doing with me. And so it's like this. I fast. It's like putting a quarter in a slot. I put a quarter in a slot, fasting. The currency is fasting. And out comes my little snack. That's the way they're thinking it. They're thinking of it as a mechanism. You see, you put a quarter in a slot, which is the currency of you not eating, and out comes guidance. I know what I should do now. I fasted. God loves us. God does good for us. But God's good for us in, is in his way at his time. And best for you. It's not for you to determine what is best for you. God determines that. Second, their fasting doesn't lead to humility and love in life. It only leads to more quarreling and fighting with one another. In fact, their lives are filled with violence, it says, toward others. This kind of thing only happens when they're living for themselves. Let's look at this. Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure. You oppress your workers. You fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. I mean, these people are, are, are not only just, you know, fighting with each other, probably with their words, but it seems like they're actually literally fighting with each other, with their fists. This kind of fast that they were doing does no good. God won't hear them for it. Hear what he, God says at the end of verse 4. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. What does that say? Your fasting does zero good. I don't listen to you anymore by you doing it because of how your fast is coming to me. Their fast 
is coming with an empty heart. Actually, their fast is coming with a full heart. Any guess what it's full of? Themselves. Themselves. Their fast is full of themselves. They want something for themselves. So let's get to our second point. What fasting is. Is it simply a day when a person humbles themselves by not eating? Is it a day where a person lays on their face before God and wears clothes and puts ashes on their heads to show a life of sorrow and misery? Is this the kind of fast that God wants? Is this the kind of thing that God is asking for? External actions? Look at verse 6. Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. In verse 6, God says the fast he wants. A fast from doing evil. (laughs) Kind of saying, go ahead and eat. Stop sinning. Right? A fast for doing evil. Focus on stopping your sin. Not just the food that comes in your mouth. Now, next week we're going to talk about actual fasting. But if you try to fast with a heart like this, God's saying, don't even fast. Don't bother to fast. Fix the heart. Get your heart aligned with God. Then you can fast. So, God wants his people to fast from oppressing those whom they were taking advantage of. He wants them to help free everyone who's being oppressed by the rulers and the people who are in power. He wants them to use their energy and power to bring redemption and hope to people, to literal people that are your neighbors, that are living under the bridge, that have no home, that have no food. What God is getting at is is that the people were living for themselves all the time, and so He wanted them to live dedicated to Him to live a holy life in worship and service. He redeemed them and He wants them to live in the reality that they can't do anything without Him and are helpless and dependent upon Him. He also wants them to help others who are also helpless and dependent. You see, they came to God with all just their sin, completely helpless, completely dependent. And so as they come to God with that, God is saying, you came to me and I redeemed you, so you be a... Uh, 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 an agent of redemption in your culture, in the place that you live, with your neighbors and friends and those people that are suffering. You see, if He would send His own Son, the Father would send His own Son, Jesus Christ, to die for their sake, then it makes zero sense for them to serve themselves. The King of the universe came and served you. I mean, you know that, right? The King of the universe left his glory, emptied himself of his glory, took on the form of a servant, and came to serve you. So why would fasting or any religious rite be for your your good? And that's what he's getting at here. It makes no sense to serve yourself. Fasting and denying self food so that you can get God to give you stuff doesn't make sense doesn't align with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the, in verse 7, we see that there's a fast for others and, and, and it's characterized by activity. Listen to 7. 
Is it not to share the fast? Is it not to share bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. What's he getting at? He basically wants them to share their food with others, to share their home with others, to share their good, their goods with others. Basically, he wants them to find the homeless and bring them into their homes so that they have shelter from the cruelty of the world. He wants them to find the people without clothes and use their own goods and clothe them and give them money to help them. He wants them to take care of those in their own family or in their clan who are needy. I don't know if you know this, but God is is really concerned that His people take care of family members who are in trouble. He talks about that in the New Testament, all throughout the Old Testament. It's really important. Not only do you help your neighbor and the people that live around you, but especially your family. If you don't take care of your family, it's a, it's a big problem of the heart. So he wants to take care of that. He wants them to stop hiding away in their homes, living in comfort and isolation. He's saying, your fast needs to be a fast from living for yourself and a fast to living to others. So the point of fasting then is to be sensitive to others' needs. When you fast, you get connected to the heart of God, and the heart of God is a heart of compassion, of mercy, and grace towards others. So when you have a true fast and have sensitivity toward others, essentially it's be to become more like God to image Christ all the more. We are to try to rescue others, to release the oppressed, and to unload other people's burdens. Here's to sum it up for you. We are called to help each other and not hide from other people's needs. You you ever... I know there's lots of complicating factors in this. But have you ever, like, walked down the street and seen a homeless person and try to quickly move your eyes away? I don't know why we do that. Maybe it's guilt. Maybe we don't want to talk to them. Maybe we're afraid that they might hurt us. There's lots of reasons. I'm not you know, going to say that anytime you do that, it's necessarily a sin type of thing. But what, what, what God is saying here to, to his people is a fast is one that has eyes that look, that see, that have compassion, and that act. That's what it's getting at. Listen. You can, you know, have you ever heard the word liturgy? Like liturgy, it's kind of like what we do up here. We have a call to worship and we have all these different things that happen. You can have your liturgy right, but if you don't have your life right, your liturgy actually is meaningless and worthless. Because liturgy, worshiping God, comes out of a life that worships God. And that's the point. So fasting does no good if you don't have your life of living straight, a life with compassion and love. Now let's look at verse 8, the reward of correct fasting and living. This is amazing. What happens if you have a correct fast, one that seeks the love of others and heals the broken and sets the oppressed free and takes apart the yoke and gives bread to the hungry and feeds the houses the homeless, covers the naked... And, and doesn't hide from its own flesh, well, then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, cry, and he will say, here I am. 
In verse 8, it says that your light will shine essentially in your villages, towns, and cities. Then God will come and bring healing to them, to the cities, and to the land quickly. Then the presence of the Lord will be with them and will protect them from their enemies. And then they will call on God and He will actually hear them. And we will tell them that He's right there with Him. So essentially the benefits of a biblically sound fast that come from a heart that loves God and cares for others is the following. First, their testimony in their local community and throughout the world will be clear and bright. In other words, if you live a life of justice and mercy and walk humbly before God, your life will be a testimony to a watching world that is clear and bright. And even if they hate your message and it is foolish to them, you will be testifying to the brightness of God and His glory. The glory of God will shine through to them. They will see God in that sense as you are behaving like your Father in heaven. Second, their prayers to God will not only be heard, but will be answered. You think about how crazy this is? They were trying to use God as a cosmic bellhop. In this verse it says, if you align your heart with my heart and you cry out to me, I'll say, here I am. Which, I mean, it sort of sounds like a bell hop. hop. And that's how God is. What's the point? God's presence will be with you. That's his point. He will come to your aid. He will come to help you. He will come to comfort you. As they seek God for himself, not for what they get out of him, but they seek God for himself because he is awesome in and of himself, they will get him, God, who is a present active God who desires a relationship with creatures. Isn't that awesome? In other words, if you seek God, you will get a present, active, living God in a real relationship. See, it's not about religion. It's not about religiosity. It's about relationship. That's what this outlines. Your formal stuff that you do, it's just stuff you do. It's really about whether you know God personally, and whether you talk and commune with him, and he knows you and responds to you. Doesn't Jesus say there's lots of people that do stuff in my name, but, they're, but they don't, I don't know them? But Jesus says, I know the people, right, who do these things for me in my name. Third, their life of service would shine in the watching community. Their gloominess will go away, and they will be seen as bright shining lights as they care for others. Uh, fourth, they would live, they would have a life of fellowship with God. The life of fellowship would be so real that God would guide them continually. God will guide them continually. And that's amazing. Verse 11, and the Lord will guide you continually. You want guidance? You want to know what God wants you to do? Live a life of relationship with. We spent some time talking about that in our Sunday school class on prayer this morning. It's a life of fellowship. Your life of fellowship would be so real that God would guide you continually, satisfying your needs and strengthening you. Because of your communion with God, you will be then a source of life to a watching world. You shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. 
You shall raise up foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repair of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Fifth, they would be reestablished as a community of God's people. They would know and experience the reality that God is their God and that they are God's people as a community. This community would be rich and full, not with finances, but this community would be rich in relationships. They would teach their children the way of the Lord and they would see a solid communion in their children and their children's children and generations to come. So can you see what the problem was here and what God is driving at? Fasting had become a talisman, a little statue that you put. And if you put that statue there and you do it, you get what you want. It was something that the people were using to try to get God to listen to them or do something for them. But the problem was that their hearts were not aligned with God's heart. They were not living a Godward life. They were living a self-centered, self-righteous life of oppression. And so the prophet Isaiah wants the people of Israel to know that a true fast is rooted in love of God and love of others. So how do we apply this today? How do you apply this passage? We have seen that fasting is a matter of the heart. So listen, the heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. Your heart is what matters. So what do we do? Well, there's very real dangers in fasting. We've seen that. First, that when we think we are living misaligned with God's justice, we can, so, so, so really is, if, I should say, if we are living misaligned with God's justice, we can use fasting to think that we are living a truly pious life when we aren't. And, and, and so then you say, okay, fasting, not fasting, whatever. Okay, so going to a religious service, when your heart is not aligned with God and who God is and his heart of loving him, of loving others, then essentially what you're dealing with is, is that that stuff is tricking us into thinking that we're in right standing with God. Fasting doesn't necessarily mean, coming to worship doesn't necessarily mean you're right with God. Second, if you use it like this talisman, you can use it for selfish gain. You just think that God will listen to you and give you what you want if you do the right stuff. If you come to Sunday morning, if you come to Sunday school, if you come to worship, if you come to the weekly Bible study, if you go and meet with people during the week, if you do all this religious stuff, then guess what? You know, God's going to bless you. True fasting is humbling of self before God, following His ways, loving others. Third, along the same lines, we can use it as a way of getting noticed by others and getting a reward for being pious and religious. In other words, we can get recognized by others and get praise and privileges. It's like, yeah, look at me. I fasted. Which is why we'll see next week, Jesus basically says, when you fast, take a shower, put a smile on your face, and don't look afflicted. We're going to talk about that next week. Don't let anybody know you're fasting. Because it's not about them. It's about you and me. It's about your heart. It's with me. And so, 
The danger is that instead of fasting being a matter of the heart, we're drawing closer to God and feeding upon Christ. Instead, we are feeding upon others or God to get what we want. So actually, I would argue that actually fasting can be gluttony. Religious gluttony. You're not eating, but you are glutting on what you want to get for yourself. So it's like you you don't put food in your mouth because you want to do this religious stuff, but you're actually doing it so that you get stuff. And so it's basically just gluttony. It's religiosity that looks like gluttony. And so there is this, this idea is I'm getting stuff for me. I'm feeling good about myself. I'm growing in my religiosity. But fasting is supposed to be humble reliance upon God. So fasting is a question of where our heart is. What are your motives of fasting? Are we doing these things because we're grateful for Jesus' work in calling us into his kingdom or because of the reward he offers us? So now I want to take us and I want us to close by looking at Jesus. When we look at what God is saying to his people in Isaiah 58, what we're seeing is that God wants his people to live a life that shows the reality of their redemption. They are people who have been redeemed by the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He purchased our freedom through his work And this freedom he gives us is to be used to live free and to help free others. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus reads Isaiah a couple chapters later, 61, 1 to 2. And he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then after he rolled up the scroll, he said, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. When we read this, do you know that right after this, not long after this, or I should say right before this, that he came in there to the, and, and, and read that? Do you know where he was at? He was in the wilderness on a 40-day fast. Jesus had just came off of a 40-day fast. And he comes in and says, I'm proclaiming liberty. And he comes casting out demons, healing people with withered hands. He comes raising the dead, bringing healing in this world. Essentially, he was baptized, empowered with the Spirit, and went out healing the sick, making the lame to walk, the blind to see, the deaf to hear. His fast produced action in his life. Because Jesus' internal heart was aligned with his external actions. You see? Jesus perfectly aligned his heart with his actions. His fast was all about God. Jesus loved God with all his being. He loved his neighbor as himself. There was no religiosity at all in Jesus. His fast was about communion and relationship with God. His heart was in the right place. As Christians, we have been redeemed by God's grace through Christ's sacrifice in our place. We've been given his righteousness. Our lives should be actively lived in a way that shows the world who we are children of the living God. Our lives should be lived in single-hearted devotion to God. Our fasting should not be some 
simple, simply some another piece of living our lives dedicated to God, but it should be living our lives feeding upon God, feeding upon Christ, and living out the redemption that He has caused, renewing us in the image of Christ. What happens when the Holy Spirit works in us? We're renewed after the image of Christ. And so fasting is a piece of living our lives. I think I might have said that wrong backwards a moment ago. It's just simply a piece of living our lives in that dedication to God and feeding upon Christ. So when we fast, we should not be living our lives as either or people. We should be living our lives as both and people. So my question to you, is your life characterized by a life of mercy, of seeking justice, loving mercy, and walking humbly before your God? Or have you compartmentalized religion over here and your life is over here? And you have an either or in the way that you walk with God. God says, I want both. I want your heart, your religious worship, and I want a life lived, seeking justice and mercy, dedicated to God, seeking and living out justice for those who are around us. Father, this was a very, very hard message. Spoken, convicting to myself, sure, convicting to others. Forgive us, oh God, for how we can compartmentalize ourselves and somehow think that religious practices don't need to be worked out in the day-to-day. As James told us in the book of James, don't just say, I'll pray for you when someone tells you that they're hungry. But feed them. So Father, we pray that you would turn this church, turn our lives into a place that lives out justice and mercy for others, but not forsaking the gospel. Because justice and mercy do nothing without Jesus Christ. And so we pray that you'd help us to seek justice and love mercy and to give others Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. I invite you to stand as you're able and turn in your Red Trinity hymnal to number 595. As we think about the needs of those who are facing injustice, as we think about the hungry, the homeless, let our hearts be broken. Let us go before God in song. Please stand as you're able. your heart be broken for a world in need. Feed the mouths that hunger, soothe the wounds that bleed. Give a cup of water 
and the loaf of bread be the hands of Jesus serving in his stead. Here on earth applying principles of love, visible expression, God still rules above, living illustration of the living word to the minds of all who've never seen or heard. Blessed to be a blessing, privileged to care, challenged by the need of parent everywhere. Where mankind is wanting, fill the vacant place, be the means through which the Lord reveals his grace. Let your heart be tender and your vision clear. See mankind as God sees, serve him far and near. Let your heart be broken by a brother's pain. Share your rich resources, give and give again. Well, let us um, confess our faith together. Uh, decided to use the Westminster Larger Catechism, question 54. So I will read the question um, and then... Uh, you read the answer. People of God, how did Jesus undertake his office as a mediator? The office the Lord Jesus did most willingly undertake, which that he might discharge, he was made under the law and did perfectly fulfill it, endured most grievous torments immediately in his soul, and most painful sufferings in his body, was crucified and died, was buried and remained under the power of death, yet saw no corruption. On the third day he rose from the dead with the same body in which he suffered, with which also he ascended into heaven, and there sitteth at the right hand of his Father, making intercession, and shall return to judge men and angels at the end of the world." Actually, just to let you know, that was my mistake. I didn't catch that. It's actually Westminster Confession of Faith 8.4 is what we read. So there you go. And now we'll have our song of benediction. Whoa. 
hear the benediction, the blessing from the Lord. Peace be to you, brothers and sisters, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with a love uncorruptible. Amen.